0: Good morning, good to see everyone this morning, always glad to be with God's people, and I do appreciate the singing, I could could have sung a few more, but anyway, this morning we're going to be in Daniel chapter 8 for the most part, but to begin with, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 14. While you're finding that, I'll tell you a little story, a little bit of personal testimony. About 25 years ago, I was facing a a major surgery, something that was pretty extensive and pretty life-changing. And I had to choose a surgeon to do this. Well, many people were visiting me in the hospital, from people from the chapel, and everybody would ask me, is your surgeon a Christian? Uh, well, I don't really know. He's not openly hostile to things of the Lord, but I don't know if he's a believer either. But I'll tell you what I do know about this surgeon. I've talked to people who've had this operation, he's done it, and they said it came out good. I've talked to nurses who have cared for his patients, and they said, if me or one of my family had to have this operation, he's the one I'd choose. I had to choose to trust him to open me up take out half my insides, rearrange what was left, and hope everything came out all right.
1: And I base
0: that trust on his track record. He had done it many times and done it successfully. At the end of John chapter 13, Peter asks the Lord two questions. He says, Lord, where are you going? And he says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? And in John 14, verse 1, actually, the Lord says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Some translations say, Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, what exactly does it mean to trust? Well, according to the dictionary, it says to place confidence in. According to our Greek lexicons, it says to think to be true. To place confidence in, to rely on. So why should Peter trust the Lord? Just because he said so? Peter had seen the miracles that the Lord performed. Was that enough? But Peter didn't fully understand the cross and the resurrection the way we do. He didn't have the New Testament to explain all these things. He didn't know about the church. He didn't know how the church would operate. He couldn't read in Revelation about the second coming in the New Jerusalem. Other than the miracles, he really didn't have anything to go on. Or did he? He had the Law the Writings and the Prophets. He would have had access to writings on ancient history. Belief or trust can be based on evidence from a previous or a preceding context. I believe such evidence for belief in God and belief in the Bible can be found in our passage today in Daniel chapter 8. Let's read it together. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, River, And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward. So that no beast could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand. But he did according to his will, and became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with fear power, And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male goat grew very great, But when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it four notable horns came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward (coughs) the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. Even exalted himself as high as the Prince of the Host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. (coughs) But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me, and stood me upright and he said look i am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation for at the appointed time the end shall be the ram which you saw having the two horns they are the kings of media and persia and the male goat is the kingdom of greece the large horn that is between its eyes is the first king As for the broken horn and the four that stood in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. But he shall be broken without human hand. And the vision of the evenings and mornings, which was told, is true. Therefore seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. And the Lord will bless the reading of his holy word. So here we have Daniel's second vision. He's moved on from what he was doing earlier, chapter 2, chapter 5, where he was interpreting what other people had seen. In chapter 7 and 8, he gets visions of his own. He becomes more personally involved in this. Last week we looked at chapter seven, the four Empires and the Battle of Christ and Antichrist. Today we're looking at the Medes and the Persians. We're getting a little bit more detail about those two empires, the Medes, the Medes and Persians, and the Greeks. Now all this happens before the fall of Babylon. Remember, it's dated in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. And he's the one who saw the writing on the wall. Daniel has seen this vision in chapter seven and chapter eight. So in a way, Daniel has already seen the writing on the wall. And when you read in chapter five, how he pronounces the fall of Babylon, it's because he's already seen it. And in chapters eight through 12, we're talking about the Hebrew nation. Now, no longer the Gentiles the Hebrew nation and its future in the plan of God. We switch back from Aramaic to Hebrew in this chapter. And we see this now, Daniel had seen the vision of the four beasts, the ram and the goat. Twelve years later, Babylon falls. So now we have chapter eight. It takes place When Daniel, at least in the vision, was at Shushan, the citadel or palace. That's 250 miles east of Babylon. (coughs) Shushan would become the capital of Persia. That's where the Medes and Persians would rule Babylon from. It's the same place where the events of Esther took place. He was there in his vision. So what kind of details do we see about these empires? In verse number three, Daniel sees the ram with his two horns, and verse 20 tells us the ram having the two horns, the kings of Medea and Persia. This is the second kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter two. It's the bear in vision of chapter seven. The Medes, the Persians. It says one horn was longer. Persia was a more powerful kingdom than the Medes, but it grew up later. Persia under Cyrus invaded the Medes and conquered them or merged with them or became dominant over them in about 550 BC. And that kingdom went unchallenged until 490 BC when an army of Athenians defeated them at a place called Marathon. The ram pushed in three directions and that represents the extent of the Persian Empire. Stretched from Babylonia, Syria, and Asia Minor to the West, north to Armenia and the Caspian Sea, and south into Africa. You may ask why the East is not mentioned. It's because the Persians came from the East and subdued the Medes. The ram had great power, it could not be resisted. The conqueror, Medes and Persians conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. That no nation stood against them indicated the relative strength of their military. None could deliver from their hands speaks to the weakness of their false gods. Over and over in the Old Testament we read about God delivering the nation of Israel but we do not read in the Old Testament of these false gods of the nations delivering them from anything they have no power this empire did according to its own will became great among men I'm reminded of the Israel in the time of the judges when everyone did what was right in his own eyes God allows it for a time But then comes the judgment, always the judgment. But then in verse five, we run into the male goat. And in verse 21, the angel Gabriel explains to Daniel, the male goat is the kingdom of Greece and the large horn is its first king. This is Nebuchadnezzar's belly and thighs of bronze, Daniel's leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The male goat comes out of the west and he travels so fast his feet don't touch the ground. History tells us that that notable or large horn corresponds to Alexander the Great of Greece. Crossing the earth without touching the ground would refer to how swiftly he conquered the Medes and the Persians. Battles were fought and won at Granicus in 334 B.C., Isis in 333 B.C., Arbella in 331 B.C., and Bactria in 329. Now, when you consider that in that short time, Alexander moved an army from Greece all the way east to India, the Indus River, and we think, well, what's the big deal? Well remember, they didn't have trucks, railroad cars, anything like that to put their army in. When you talk about these battles being fought only one year apart, they had to march on foot. That was how they got there. To get from Greece all the way to India, marching your army on foot. And he did it all in 12 years. He conquered the entire known world, just about, in those 12 years. And then with nothing left to conquer, what did he do? Well, he partied until he died. (laughs) Pretty sad. The expression, moved with rage, gives you kind of a motive for why the Greeks were so ready to do this. You see... The Medes and the Persians had defeated, even humiliated the Greeks. And the Greeks had fumed about this for years and years. And then along came Alexander the Great, And he's going to make Greece great again. Here we go, guys. And they were all behind him. Let's go. Let's go get these guys. There was no power in the ram to withstand and no one that could deliver the ram from Alexander's hand. The Greeks were one superior military force in their day. But then the large horn was broken. Alexander died. And in place, four notable horns came up. Well, history tells us Cassander took over Macedonia and Greece. Lysimachus was over Thrace and the contiguous territory around it. Seleucus ruled Syria and Asia Minor. Ptolemy was the king of Egypt. Four kings. Now we don't hear too much about the first two I mentioned. The region of Greece and the region of Thrace are not going to be mentioned much in the rest of Daniel, probably not at all. But we will be concerned with the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Because when we get to chapter 11, we're going to see the battle between the kings of the north and the kings of the south. And that's who we're talking about, the Silicides and the Ptolemies. So that's what the rest of the book of Daniel will be concerned about. But then we come to the little horn. And this one is kind of interesting. I don't confuse him with the little horn of chapter 7 that rose out of the Roman kingdom. This one came out of the Grecian kingdom, grew exceedingly great, moved toward the south, which would indicate he moved toward Egypt. The beautiful land is a repre- reference to Palestine, the territory that God promised to the nation of Israel. The host of heaven would be God's people. Jewish people, and this little horn would come against them. we throw the stars to the ground and trample them. He would totally reject their religious practices and law, exalt himself as high as the prince of the host. He would place himself on the same level as the Israelite God. He would take away the morning and evening sacrifices specified in the law of Moses, and he would defile the temple. History tells us that this is a fellow called Antiochus Epiphanes. This was the fulfillment. Epiphanes means magnificent or God manifest. That's what you called him if you were his friend. If you didn't like him, you called Epiphanes, Epip, Epimenes, yeah, which means madman. That one fit, too. I'd like to read you just a little bit from the history, just to give you an idea of what this fellow was like. We'll read a little bit of it. This describes it better than I could. From them came forth a sinful root, Antiochus Epiphanes, son of Antiochus the king. He'd been a hostage in Rome. He began to reign in the 137th year of the kingdom of the Greeks. In those days, lawless men came forth from Israel and misled many, saying, Let us go and make a covenant with the Gentiles about us. For since we separated from them, many evils have come upon us proposal pleased them and some of the people eagerly went to the king. He authorized them to observe the ordinance of the Gentiles so they built the gymnasium in Jerusalem according to Gentile custom and removed the marks of circumcision and abandoned the holy covenant. They joined with the Gentiles and sold themselves to do evil. So you see he enticed the people to abandon their religion, to abandon the Lord and the things of the Lord. When Antiochus saw that his kingdom was established, he determined to become king of the land of Egypt, that he might reign over both kingdoms. He did invade Egypt and engage Ptolemy, king of Egypt, in battle, captured some fortified cities of Egypt subdued it, and then he returned. Then he went up against Israel and came to Jerusalem with a strong force. He arrogantly entered the sanctuary and took the golden altar, the lampstand for the light, and all its utensils. He took also the table for the bread of the presence, the cups for drink offerings, the bowls, the golden censers, the curtain, the crowns, and the gold decoration on the front of the temple. He stripped it all off he took the silver and the gold and the costly vessels he took also the hidden treasures which he found taking them all he departed to his own land he committed deeds of murder he spoke with great arrogance Israel mourned deeply in every community rulers and elders groaned maidens and young men became faint the beauty of the women faded every bridegroom took up the lament She who sat in the bridal chamber was mourning. Even the land shook for its inhabitants, and all the house of Jacob was clothed with shame. What God was showing Israel at this time, they were in exile right now. But God showed Daniel that they would be even worse off, that they would be back in their land, but their temple would be defiled. Some of them would abandon their religious practices altogether. Their temple defiled, their sacrifices stopped. And we read... the 25th day of the month they offered sacrifice on the altar, which was upon the altar of burnt offering. According to the decree, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised and their families who circumcised them, and they hung the infants around their mothers' necks. God showed them that the ultimate in defilement and destruction would come upon them. This would be even worse than being exiled to a foreign land. They would be in their land with their temple without their, their law, without their God. And many of them abandoned him and I think we see this in Christianity today. We see a lot of churches. I know I, just for the heck of it, I looked at the website for the church I grew up in, a United Methodist Church. And they still maintain the United Methodist name. They're led by a woman. Their website is love, inclusion, um, you know, diversity, everybody welcome. There isn't a thing on it about sin or repentance or the Lord Jesus. It's just, you know, we welcome everybody. We love everybody. This is what would happen to Israel, and this is what Daniel saw. How long would it last? Twenty-three hundred days. That persecution began in 171 B.C. ended in 165 B.C. When Judas Maccabeus would restore the temple to its rightful worship. We need to we need to study the scriptures. The scripture here that we're reading. Daniel was seeking the meaning Christianity is not a passive activity we don't just sit around and wait for God to speak to us we need to be looking we need to be reading the scriptures God sent Gabriel an angel to interpret the vision for Daniel God has given each one of us his Holy Spirit to guide us through the scriptures. But it's up to us to pick up the book and read it. That's what we need to do. Daniel was confronted by an angel and his response was fear. This was no cute little cherub in a white robe with white wings with a halo. He was afraid. He was quite aware of the great gulf between him and God. You see, in the Old Testament, only the priest could approach God. And he could only approach with the blood of the sacrifice. We have a high priest who allows us to approach. He came to God with his own blood. And now, based on that shed blood on Calvary, we can enter that throne room of grace. Our scripture today talks about the time of the end, which would be the time that Messiah comes to bring the Jewish people back into their land with Messiah ruling. The latter time of the indignation, the end of the times of the Gentiles. It's the last stage in the history of the Jewish people in verse 23 When the transgressors have reached their fullness, this would be when the whole world is ripe for judgment. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for just a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 3. and from such people, turn away. That's what it's going to be like when the transgressors have reached their fullness. And if we look around the world, we see that it's very close. These things fit so well with so much that we see today. Habakkuk put it this way, he said, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speed and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not (coughs) tarry. A lot of this has been fulfilled, what we read in Daniel chapter 8. A good share of it. But there will be another king, another time. Adjectives used to describe him are fierce, sinister, mighty, prosperous, cunning, deceitful. All things that could be applied to the Antichrist who appears at the time of the end. Power but not by his own power. Where does his power Come from. Some would suggest a reference to Revelation chapter 17 verse 13 where it says these, referring to ten kings, are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast, the Antichrist. This king shall be broken without human hand. Remember in Nebuchadnezzar's dream stone cut without hands, would crush the statue and rise up to be a kingdom with no end. One thing is for certain, that God will destroy the kingdoms of men and establish his own kingdom that will have no end. So we've gone through this and we've seen names, dates, places, history, fulfillment. If this could be written hundreds of years before these things happened, and yet, in great detail, it spells it all out. This is what was going to happen. We can believe what God has written in his word. Peter could have used this and use history to believe and trust in what's in God's Word. When we read in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, we can believe that. It's true, because God has always been true to His Word. We read in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can believe that all, all, everybody falls short of the glory of God. We can read in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. We were talking about this this morning, how much he loves us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can read in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So as we finish out in the the book of Daniel and we see more of these visions things that God revealed before they happened we can realize we trust God we trust God's word we read it we seek the interpretation and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that you have given us your word, that it is a trustworthy word, that you have helped us to see how much we can trust you, how much you love us. Father, help us to love you in return. Father, we thank you for the time we've had together this morning, time in worship, time to remember the Lord in the way he asked us to. We thank you, Father, for the food downstairs. ask you to bless it to our use and us to your service. We pray for those who could not be with us this morning but would have desired. We pray, Father, that you would comfort them and that they would be built up and edified in the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We give you thanks and praise now for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.